This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. You've likely heard the news. A Richmond Hill hospital, Mackenzie Health, has had to tell some of its cancer patients to come back later as vials of drugs were not available to treat those who are going through chemotherapy. It's a scary thought that has many wondering what would happen if they were unable to get their medications. Jacqueline Duffin is a professor at Queen's University and chair of the History of Medicine there. She's also behind the website CanadaDrugShortage.com and joins us on the line to talk about this. Professor, thanks for your time. You're welcome. How unusual is this situation? Given that there's a website called CanadaDrugShortage.com, I'm thinking that it happens more than we might realize. Yes, well, it happens in every aspect of healthcare, not just in cancer care, and it's been going on for quite a long time. I've been following it since 2010. This particular situation, tell us about the drug, uh, which type of cancer it treats, and why there would be a shortage at a hospital in the GTA. Well, uh, the drug that I'm told is in uh, short supply is 5-FU or 5-fluorouracil, which is a very old, reliable drug used for many, many different kinds of cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The patient in question who alerted the media is actually on four drugs, which is typical of a protocol we use in, in many different kinds of cancer treatments. And if one of the drugs goes missing, then you can't give the whole protocol. Uh, I've been checking the um, drugshortage.ca website, and at least two of her drugs have been recently reported as in short supply. So that would explain why her treatment had to be canceled. Uh, I don't know how many other patients are affected. I don't know how widespread the problem is because I haven't heard about it from other places. It could be quite local. However, all four of the drugs that she's on have at one point or another been in short supply in Canada over the past four years. How could that happen? (laughs) I wish I knew. and If I knew, maybe I wouldn't have to be running my website. Uh Uh, There are many plausible causes of the drug shortages in Canada. In this particular case, we've just heard today from Health Canada that uh, there were some vials of the 5-FU drug that might have been leaking. That's a huge concern, and uh, we do rely on Health Canada to protect us from any contaminants that might be in our drugs. It's appropriate that they should stop the use of those kinds of drugs. I also understand that the quarantine drugs have been released to help solve the problem in Richmond Hill. However, that type of a cause of drug shortage is only one of possibly 15 different causes, some of which are related to the market, some of which are related to the raw materials, some of which are related to the way the drugs are supplied, and a lot of which seems to be related to whether the drugs are generic, in other words, old and off-patent, or new. 
I'd like to hear from you, our Zoomer Radio listener. Have you or someone you loved ever experienced something like this where you've gone for cancer treatment and the drug has not been available? What have you done about it if this has happened to you? 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Your stories uh, about chemotherapy treatment. Uh, maybe you've had a very positive experience uh, with chemo. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Professor, it seems like there has been a fairly quick solution for the situation in Richmond Hill, which leads us to believe that uh, situations when they do come up can be resolved, remedied fairly quickly. Uh, they have been in the main resolved quite quickly in uh, cancer chemotherapy. Uh, it's a very fraught uh, situation when someone can't get their treatment. But I want to let your ris- listeners know that it's not just the chemotherapy drugs that can go missing. Sometimes we miss the support drugs, uh, for example, to control nausea or pain. This has affected other chronic illnesses as well, for example, epilepsy in children or Parkinson's disease in seniors. And for those chronic conditions, the solutions sometimes don't come quite as quickly. Where do the drugs come from? Well, the drugs are mostly made uh, outside of Canada. Even the few Canadian pharmaceutical companies we have license factories in other countries. And uh, Canada is relatively small on a global scale. It's important to understand that drug shortages are occurring all around the world, mostly affecting generic drugs. And uh, some people claim that Uh, we don't pay enough for generic drugs, therefore there's not much interest in making extra. Uh, There's also the problem that Canada does not have an essential medicines list, uh, which would help protect us from these sudden shortages out of the blue. Oh, tell us more about that. Uh, Has there been a call, I'm sure there has been a call to, to get such a list in place. Uh, Well, I published such a call just last uh, fall in the CMAJ, and a recent report last week has shown that if Canada were to get an essential medicines list, uh, not only would it help uh, avert these kinds of sudden shortages because we would commit to stocking the drugs that seem to be running down, but it might even save us some money. That uh, kind of idea is not unique to Canadian uh, uh, thinking. Uh, there are 116 countries with the World Health Organization that already have essential medicines lists, and it's quite baffling why Canada hasn't moved to establish one itself. And what is the reason that's being given for that? <laughs> Again, if I knew that, I yeah. wouldn't be in the trench. I, I think that, uh, first of all, we see ourselves as well-off and able to buy ourselves out of situations. There's uh, not a great deal of interest from the pharmaceutical industry in seeing such a list because it will tend to favor generic drugs rather than the new and more expensive uh, on-patent drugs. And in addition, some physicians have always seen these things as a way of curbing their freedom to prescribe what they think is best or newest for their patients. An essential medicines list would not do any of that. What it is is a list that uh, recommends certain drugs and, and guarantees the provision of certain drugs to avoid these kinds of sudden emergencies like we're seeing today. Yeah, if you're being treated for cancer, after the cancer, this has to be your worst nightmare, being told your chemo drug is not available. 
Uh, yes, it's extremely upsetting, especially if you've been a good patient and followed all the rules and turned up for all your blood tests and all your appointments and all your treatment, and then to suddenly be told, oh, sorry, we can't do it. It must be extremely distressing, not only for the patient, but all of her family. Has this happened to you or someone you've loved? Uh, what, and what have you done about it? Have you been in a situation where you were told you have to wait or maybe there's not enough for this week, you have to come back next week for your treatment? Those calls are welcome till the top of the hour, 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. How many drug suppliers are there in Canada, Professor? Uh, if you mean Canadian-owned, very few, just a handful. Uh, the number of pharmaceutical companies has declined considerably over the last uh, decades. Uh, there are about 250 that uh, we buy drugs from in Canada. Uh, it goes up, it goes down, and they're not all supplying uh, one drug. They might be supplying many or few. These drug uh, companies are granted licenses by Health Canada to manufacture their drugs. Uh, but then again, the other complication is that healthcare is run provincially. Uh, consequently, there's a bit of confusion over who is supposed to alert when drugs appear to be in short supply. Now, this Accord Healthcare, which is going to be supplying the 3,600 vials of the medication to the hospital in Richmond Hill, would this be one of the larger suppliers? I can't comment on that, uh, whether it's large or not. But for one reason or another, Health Canada has gone to them. So presumably uh, knowing that they would have the medication that's needed at the Richmond Hill Hospital. Yes, I think people can have confidence in what Health Canada has recognized. It's aware of the problems. And uh, perhaps what happened was they quarantined uh, drugs coming from the same manufacturer uh, that hadn't been proven to have any problem with them. It was just that there had been a problem in the past. This happens fairly often, actually. And uh, they they err on the side of safety, which, of course, we all want, because nobody, nobody who's getting treatment for cancer wants to end up getting an infection from the treatments that they're being given. This is a very responsible act. But if the drugs or the vials have not actually been proven to have any problem, and I'm sure they will be inspected by the local pharmacist before they are used, uh, then I think the patients can be reassured. Are there questions you should ask when you're first beginning chemotherapy uh, about the more details about the drug that you're receiving, where it's coming from, what the history of it is? Do, do cancer patients ask enough questions about the drug that they will be receiving in their course of treatment? I work in cancer care clinically and have done for more than 30 years. And I would say that we try to make sure that our patients are very well informed. Every drug they're given, uh, they receive an information sheet about the drug. They're encouraged to ask questions as much as possible. Uh, there, there are no questions that are wrong. There are no questions that are unwelcome. Uh, the drug shortage issue is one that nobody can really predict when these things might happen. Uh, but it, you know, it is another, yet another thing to worry about. More importantly, people should be asking about the side effects of the drugs that they take and what we can do to control them. And they should inform themselves also on the statistics of the outcomes of these treatments. Uh, we can't 
treat people properly without them being full participants in their care. And that means being uh, fully informed about the drugs that they're taking. I'm speaking with Jacqueline Duffin, professor of Queen's at Queen's University and chair of the history of medicine at Queen's in Kingston. And also the name of your website. I just want to make sure I have it right. CanadaDrugShortage.com. CanadaDrugShortage.com. So at the moment, when we go to CanadaDrugShortage.com, do we just see this drug that we're talking about in Richmond Hill, or are there others? No, uh, my website has been going since August 2011, and it has a homepage that explains in brief what the drug shortage is. And then it has media pages, one for Canada, one for the United States, and one for other countries. I'm tracking the problem in 70 other countries. So if you go to the Canada page today, you will find a link to the story about the patient in Richmond Hill. Uh, But you will also find information about uh, the possible causes of the drug shortage and literature on those causes. Uh, There's also a page that tracks the history of the problem in Canada. I've been doing this because nobody else is. Uh, There is a link as well to the official site where shortages in Canada are reported. And there your listeners will find uh, links to hundreds and hundreds of drugs that have come into shortage and been resolved or the drug has absolutely been just discontinued. And at any given time, there are several hundred drugs that are affected. Do you have a question about the drug that you're taking or that your oncologist has advised you that you should be taking for the treatment of your particular cancer? If you are a cancer patient, we'd love to hear you weigh in on this topic. 416-360-0740, A Professor, just to get into a little bit of a personal discussion, what got you interested in the history of medicine? Uh, Well, the history of medicine I've been doing for uh, 30, 40 years now, um, partly because I I am a physician, I'm a hematologist, but I found myself living in Paris and was unable to practice medicine. So I ended up doing a PhD on a really interesting topic, which was the invention of the stethoscope 200 years ago. Mm. Uh, When I came back to Canada, I uh, was so lucky to get the job at Queen's where I'm able to do both clinical medicine and history of medicine. And how has your expertise changed over the years? Are you still interested in the stethoscope? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're asking the question on the 200th anniversary of the stethoscope, and uh, to my amazement, uh, my old thesis from 30 years ago has become hot topic. Wow. (laughs) And and so I've been on uh, CBC television about it and uh, invited to speak on it in England, in Germany, and in the United States um, because we look now at the stethoscope as uh, a very useful old tool that may in fact be obsolete. It it will be obsolete at one point or, or we'll continue to use it? I think we're going to continue to use it. It doesn't need electricity. It doesn't cost very much. You can take it anywhere. And uh, for the uh, people who are really interested in handheld ultrasound, which is a wonderful instrument, I'm not knocking it, uh, these things just cannot be available all over Africa in a way a stethoscope can. What, what was the original stethoscope like? What did it look like? How did it, how did it work 200 years ago? Uh, the... At that time, people were trying to figure out how to diagnose what was going on inside a chest before the patient became a cadaver. And you couldn't do it by looking or feeling. And a brilliant doctor named Rene Lainek got the idea to roll up a paper notebook into a cylinder, put one end on the patient's chest, the other to his ear, and he was amazed that he could hear the heart beating and the lungs breathing. 
he then very quickly unraveled what the different sounds meant uh, and within three years had published a two-volume book on how the stethoscope could actually reveal the changes of the organs before the patient was dead. And that would have been quite something at that time. It was. It went around the world very quickly. People were using it within three or four years in Canada and the United States. Are there any other tools of medicine or medications that have that kind of history that are still being used to this day? Uh, Well, lots of them. Before the stethoscope was invented, uh, another doctor who was the son of an innkeeper uh, developed the idea of tapping on the chest to determine whether the lungs were full of air or there there was fluid or pus in the lungs. Uh, This was because his dad used to tap on the barrels of wine to determine how much was left and when he needed to order more. That doctor uh, preceded Lynek, the inventor of the stethoscope, by a few decades. And uh, the habit of tapping on a chest is very familiar. And if your family doctor is doing a good job, you will have been tapped by your family yes, doctor. Yes, yes, that, that feels familiar. And that goes back, you're saying, more than 200 years. Yes. Amazing. Do you have any concerns? Do you, do you think, as we wrap up our discussion here, we've been speaking with Jacqueline Duffin, professor at Queen's University, chair of the History of Medicine. Uh, y- your biggest concern, obviously, is, is the potential for a drug shortage and getting this essential medicines list happening in Canada? That's my big concern, and I'm doing the website and pursuing the question about why do we have this problem uh, because of my patients. I first encountered it from a patient who has since died. She was a young woman with metastatic cancer, and she couldn't get a drug for controlling the nausea for her treatment, which was considerable. The drug was a really old, reliable drug, and I couldn't understand why it wasn't available. And I have been pulling on this thread uh, for all of this time in her honor and in her memory because I just don't think it's fair, and I don't think it's understandable that in a country like Canada we should be confronting a problem like this. That's your motivation. That's my motivation. Wonderful to speak with you and to make your acquaintance. Thank you so much for all that information. Thanks for your interest. Jacqueline Duffin, professor at Queen's University, chair of the History of Medicine. She's also behind the website, canadadrugshortage.com, a good place to start if you're looking to see how prolific your particular drug or medication is at the moment. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.